Thanks for checking out the Oasis Church podcast from Camden, Arkansas. Each week we share the message from our Sunday worship service. Join us anytime. More information at camdenoasischurch.com. Man, good morning, Oasis Church. How are you all doing this morning? Doing good? I know what you're thinking. Billy, you got really good looking all of a sudden. But hey, it's not Billy. It's Stephen. Stephen, don't worry. I, uh, he didn't shave his beard or anything like that that quickly. Um, but I'm, uh, if you will, go ahead and turn in your Bibles, if you have them, to the book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah, you can be turning there. That's where we're going to be camping out for a while this morning. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm telling you, I'm almost disappointed that we don't get to hear another installment from uh, uh, Pastor Billy this morning. He has just been on fire lately. Have y'all noticed that? Um, I've just enjoyed so much this series, learning about what does God want from me. And uh, I just want to tell you this morning that you are beyond blessed to have a pastor that cares so much about your spiritual formation. Are you thankful for your pastor this morning? Say amen. Amen. Very good. Well, um, like I said, as much as I've enjoyed this series, I'm not even going to attempt to try and touch a perfect streak like that. So we're going to be hopping out of that this morning. Um, and then next week, I believe he might be starting up uh, something new. Um, but I believe that the Lord has a word for us today from Nehemiah. I remember last week during the message, uh, we were learning about God, uh, what does God want from us? He wants us to wake up. And through the whole thing, I was I could only think about Nehemiah, and I was like, oh, oh, why in the world am I thinking about this? But it just kept coming up in my head, and so I think this message piggybacks pretty well off of what we talked about last week, and I think you'll see why here shortly. Okay, Nehemiah, so real quick, some background on, um, if you remember, in the biblical story up to this point um, in the Old Testament, the Israelites have been in exile, right? Uh, God has judged them, and they have been sent out of the promised land and have been taken over by foreign powers. And if you remember in the book of Ezra, right before this, uh, the Israelites were permitted to return to their homeland under Persian control, of course, and they were um, permitted to start trying to pick up the pieces of what once was a great city inhabited by God's people and was virtually impenetrable in its heyday. So the story picks up in Nehemiah, and the Israelites are settling back into their homeland. Only problem is, the city is vulnerable. The walls uh, that once surrounded the city now lies in ruins and rubble, and the wooden gates have been burned up. And this is where Nehemiah steps in. Nehemiah had a very high government position at that time. It says he was the cupbearer to the king, which is uh, pretty much one of the highest positions you can have in the empire at that time. And so Nehemiah hears of the ruins that Jerusalem is in, and he is just has a burden on his heart for the people of Jerusalem in the heart of Israel. And so he says, I'm going to go do something about it. So we see in chapter 1 of Nehemiah, he goes and asks the king if he can leave and help his people start to rebuild, and the king allows him to go, and along with all the resources that he'll need. And so now we jump into the story here in chapter 2, if you will, begin reading with me um, in verse 11. We'll read through uh, verse 18. I went to Jerusalem, and after staying there three days, I set out during the night with a few others. I had not told anyone what my God had put in my heart to do for Jerusalem. There were no mounts with me except the one I was riding on. By night, I went out through the valley gate toward the jackal well and the dung gate, examining the walls of Jerusalem, which had been broken down 
and its gates, which had been destroyed by fire. Then I moved on toward the fountain gate and the king's pool, but there was not enough room for my mount to get through, so I went up the valley by night examining the wall. Finally, I turned back and re-entered through the valley gate. The officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing, because as yet I had said nothing to the Jews or the priests or nobles or officials or any others who would be doing the work. Then I said to them, You see the trouble we are in. Jerusalem lies in ruins, and its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem, and we will no longer be in disgrace. I also told them about the gracious hand of my God on me and what the king had said to me. They replied, let us start rebuilding. So they began this good work. So this city of Jerusalem, which was once the largest power in the world with the greatest military and the greatest defense, is now in ruins. It was the best fortified city in the world at that time and was pretty much uh, impenetrable with its walls surrounding it. it. Except now it was vulnerable. It was, it, was, it was susceptible to the enemy's attacks, to thieves, and pretty much anyone who were enemies to God's people. And so I wonder this morning if there's anyone here today who feels like their walls have been torn down. I wonder if anyone feels like they have become susceptible to the enemy's attacks because there is no longer a wall between you and the enemy. You know, uh, one of the most fundamental things that we teach teenagers in youth ministry is to guard your heart. Uh, 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 guard your heart, right? Because your heart is one of the most important things. It's who you are. Everything you do flows out of the contents of your heart. And so, what's the best way to guard your heart from sin? You build a barrier uh, uh, in front of it. You build a barrier to keep the sin out. And so, what's the best way to guard your heart against impurity? You build a wall of standards. How do you, uh, 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 well, how do you guard your heart from hatred? You build a wall of joy. How do you Guard your heart in relationships, you build a wall of character. How do you guard your heart from complacency? You build a wall of discipline and good habits. You see, the heart of the nation of Israel was Jerusalem, and the barrier between it and the world was now non-existent. And I'm afraid that's exactly what happens to God's people far too often. Well, far too often, we lose we lose track of what is most important in our lives because we think that the devil is never going to be able to touch it. Yet slowly but surely, he's chipping away and chipping away at those walls in your heart until eventually there's a big enough hole for sin to creep in and you never even know it. Nehemiah knew that if his people were ever going to be able to move forward, then that wall was going to have to be rebuilt. And if you ever plan on moving forward in your walk with Christ, in your marriage, in the proper uh, raising of your children, in, the, in your battle with temptation, then there are some walls that you are going to need to rebuild and or fortify. So very shortly this morning, I want to give you some tips on what you will need to start rebuilding some walls in your life. And I think Nehemiah is just the perfect example to learn from. Look at verse 13. He says, By night I went out through the valley gate toward the jackal well and the dung gate. What a great place to live by, huh? The dung gate. Examining the walls of Jerusalem, which had been broken down, and its gates, which had been destroyed 
by fire. So the first thing I want you to learn from Nehemiah, if you want to start rebuilding some walls, is that you first need to find the weaknesses. You need to find the weaknesses. Notice he said he set out at night examining the walls. I heard a preacher one time refer to this as Nehemiah's midnight ride. I kind of like that, Nehemiah's midnight ride. Um, You see, he took a midnight ride because I bet he, he couldn't sleep. I bet Nehemiah got no rest knowing that there was work to be done for God's people. Hey, you could say Nehemiah was woke, right? Oh, that's an inside joke for everyone who wasn't here last week. That's why you got to come to church, so you don't miss out on any inside jokes. But he took a midnight ride to examine the damage that had been done and what it was going to take to build them back up. And let me tell you, Oasis Church, what we need is not more people to fill the pews on Sunday mornings. What we need is more people who are willing to take a midnight ride. We need more people who are willing to look for and identify the places in their life that they have been slacking on, the places where they are most vulnerable, the places where the devil is having no trouble coming and going as he pleases. That's the first step. So let me ask you, church, are we willing to take that midnight ride? Are you willing? Psalm 139, 23 through 24, David writes, Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. See, David wasn't afraid to take a midnight ride every now and then. He said, I want you to show me anything in my life right now that offends you, God, because I know that whatever it is, it's only temporary. I want what's going to last forever. How long has it been since you prayed that prayer? Have you ever? And I mean, actually looked at the status of your heart and see what, it, what, what you needed to work on. In verse 17, Nehemiah says, come, let us Rebuild the wall of Jerusalem, and we will no longer be in disgrace. You know why, you know why God's people were in disgrace? Because, because they looked lazy. They looked complacent. They looked vulnerable, and they weren't doing anything about it. They looked asleep. If you remember in the biblical story, at this point, the temple had already been rebuilt. Uh, they were already uh, 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 back uh, in Ezra. They had already rebuilt the temple. They had the priest and the teachers already back. Hey, they were going to church. But a lot of good going to church was doing for them when their walls laid in ruins and they were sitting in disgrace to everyone else. That's why they were in disgrace. And you know how it's so easy for us to fall asleep or let our walls fall? Because too many Christians have a case of the some days. Uh, Y'all know what I'm talking about? Someday I'll get that relationship right. Or someday I'll get in the word more. Someday, someday, someday. But have you ever noticed that someday never actually gets here, right? I mean, it's kind of the definition of someday. It's not today. So we need to get away from the someday's and get more on the two days. Nehemiah knew that the work needed to be done as soon as possible, but the first thing he needed was to find the weaknesses. But the next thing that Nehemiah teaches us is that we need to next find the tools. Before you start any kind of building project or, um, or, or any kind of project, you first need to make sure that you have the right tools, right? Nehemiah knew that there were some things he was going to need in order to be successful in rebuilding those walls. So what are they? Well, the first tool he needed was the right people. 
Look at verse 12. He says, I set out during the night with a few others. I had not told anyone what my God had put in my heart to do for Jerusalem. It says he took a few others, not just anyone he knew, not just anyone in his contact list, not just anyone who signed up, but a few others. I'm sure these were the guys that he could trust most in in the whole city. He didn't go around telling his business to everybody because he was careful with who he confided in. Nehemiah was wise about the company that he kept. He knew he wasn't going to be able to build the wall on his own, so what I want you to get is this, that community is a good thing. Accountability is a good thing. Nehemiah knew that, and I want you to get that this morning. God does not expect you to try to figure everything out on your own. That's why it's called the body of Christ, right? I mean, we all have different gifts and different abilities and things to offer to the church. Look at uh, these verses that talk about community. Hebrews 10, 24-25 says, And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. Romans 12, 4-5, For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. Psalm 133, 1, How good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. Your brothers and sisters in Christ are an essential tool when it comes to rebuilding your spiritual walls in your life. So what I want to encourage you today is to find those people. Find someone who you can trust to push you closer to the Lord. Find someone to give you accountability. That's what Nehemiah did, and that's exactly what the Lord wants from us. The next tool we need is not just the right people, but we also need the right perspective. Uh, back in chapter 1, when Nehemiah first finds out, uh, whenever he first finds some men that he knew were from Jerusalem, the first thing he says is, hey man, how's Jerusalem? How's Jerusalem looking? Because Nehemiah's priorities were in the right place. He knew that Jerusalem was the heart of Israel, and he was concerned about the status of that heart. Why? Because Nehemiah had his priorities right. It didn't matter that he was hundreds of miles away in another country. He was concerned for the heart of God's people. So let me ask you this morning, how are your priorities? Where are your priorities at? I almost called this tool the right priorities, but then I noticed something that Nehemiah does here at the end of verse 12. He says, there were no other mounts with me except the one I was riding on. So the dude was on a horse, right? Now, you're probably thinking, Stephen, oh, well, why is that significant? Well, I'm glad you asked. Uh, did you know that Nehemiah was the shortest man in the Bible? It's true. That's why they called him Nehemiah. So, but, so think about it. These walls, which used to be so high and so big that uh, 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 they had fallen down, right? But since they were so high, even though they were on the ground, they were probably way too high to see over, especially for such a short guy like Nehemiah. But, but just for a regular person, they were still massive piles of rubble and rocks. So what does Nehemiah do? Well, he goes and he gets up on a horse so he can get a better perspective, right? Well, when I'm down here, the wall, the pile of rubble doesn't look all that bad. It doesn't look like a problem. I guess I can just worry about it 
later. But when you get the right perspective, oh, it doesn't look as good from up here. It doesn't, it doesn't look like it did down there. It, 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 I can see a few more problems. I can see a few more holes in the wall. But that's not the only perspective that you can choose from. Uh, we'll look uh, at, at, uh, at, at verse 14. Then I moved on toward the fountain gate in the king's pool, but there was not enough room for my mount to get through. So I went up the valley by night examining the wall. So Nehemiah is riding around the outside of the wall, a, a little a geography lesson for you. There on the outside of the wall, there is a little trench that fed water from uh, one of the springs to the king's pool. It's right up against the wall. So he's riding around the outside of the wall at night because he doesn't want to get caught, but he can't get close enough to the wall on his horse to get a good perspective. So what does he have to do? Well, he's forced to get off of his horse hopped the creek, and commenced to picking over the rubble himself. Hey, sometimes it's necessary to get up close and personal with your problems. Nehemiah had to get up close and personal with that wall, and sometimes we do too. It may not be comfortable, it may not be pretty, but your perspective always determines your priorities. Did you catch that? I'm going to say it again. Your perspective always determines your priorities. If you never looked at your yard, how would you know when it's time to mow the grass, right? Uh, you wouldn't. You wouldn't put a priority on it if you never looked at it. Uh, 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 why do we have worship at the beginning of service? To get our perspective right. Why do you bow your head when you pray? To get your perspective right. Um, far too many of God's people get their priorities all wrong because they weren't diligent enough to keep their perspective on what really matters, their heart. And the last tool I want you to see Nehemiah uses to rebuild his wall is the right prayer. If you look back in chapter 1, when Nehemiah first heard of the state Jerusalem was in, it says the first thing he did is he sat down and he prayed. Great things happened all throughout the Bible when God's people inquired of the Lord. And that goes for us too. If we would humble ourselves and ask the Lord to show us where are the state of our hearts are at, he not only will take you on that midnight ride, but he will give you the tools with the right people and the right perspective to get the job done. You need the right prayer. And that leads me into the last thing that Nehemiah teaches us. Not only do we need to find the weaknesses and we need to find the tools, but we also need to find the strength. And I'm sure that you know exactly where that comes from. Second Samuel twenty-two thirty-three says, It is God who arms me with strength, and it keeps my way secure. Psalm seventy-three twenty-six: My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and, por and portion forever. Isaiah 41, 10, I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. You see, it's real easy to think that Nehemiah had success because he had the support from the Persian king. Yeah, he did, but we can't forget that it was that he had even more support from the king of kings. And, you, you know, yeah, it was the king who gave him the materials, but it was God who gave him the mission. I love what, it sa what he says in verse 18. Uh, oh, well, take a look at it with me. I also told them about the gracious hand of my God on me and 
what the king had said to me. He wanted them to know that, yeah, he had the support from both thrones, but he made sure that he knew that the king's approval was secondary to God's approval. And hey, hey, I'm a big proponent about caring about your reputation, but there are going to be times when following Jesus trumps what the world thinks about you. We have to understand as God's people who follow Christ that his approval of your actions, your choices, and your life far outweigh anyone else's approval. I mean, hey, they killed Jesus, so you can't possibly expect to follow him and please everybody at the same time. You can't do it. Look at how Nehemiah responds to his critics when they hear about his plan. Verse 19, but when some names I can't pronounce heard about it, they mocked and ridiculed us. What is this you're doing? They asked, are you rebelling against the king? I answered them by saying, the God of heaven will give us success. When it comes to building up some walls in your life, you are going to have to make some changes. Some of these changes, people aren't going to like. The devil will use people and, and things in your life to criticize you and tell you how, oh, you don't need to change. You're, uh, oh, oh, you're fine just the way you are. You just keep doing you, boo. But, uh, 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 but you see, the devil doesn't have any new tricks. He was doing the same thing back in Nehemiah's day, and he does the same thing today. But let me tell you, if you make a commitment to get your heart in life where God wants it, then you can claim what Nehemiah said, the God of heaven will give you success. I love, uh, I love sports, and I love movies. And the best sports movie of all time is Coach Carter. If you want to talk to me about it sometime, I'd love to you know, tell you how you're wrong. But a very close second is Remember the Titans. Y'all know Remember the Titans, right? I mean, I'm sure we've, we've all seen it. If you haven't seen it, your homework this week is to go and crawl out of the rock you've been living under and watch Remember the Titans. But um, I think, you know, a lot of the issues we have in America right now could be solved if all the major news channels or the, all the major TV channels would just play Remember the Titans one night. Uh, but, I mean, no one cares about my opinion. Um, but it's a, uh, just a little background for you. It's about this football team um, in Virginia during desegregation in the schools. And it's about this football team who is having to deal with all the things that came along with desegregation. And we see how this football team is learning to navigate their new situation um, because for years there were these walls and barriers set up by society that all of a sudden had been torn down and they just didn't know how to handle it. And there's this one specific scene that I love so much where two of the defensive players during practice realize that when they work together and not against each other, then nothing can get through their line. And okay, there's, this, there's this one specific moment where they realize that and they start chanting, left side, strong side. Yeah, y'all know what I'm talking about? Left side, strong side. It gets me every time. I love it. But it was in that moment that they realized that, yes, those walls had been torn down, but if they were going to start moving forward and be successful, then a new wall had to be built in its place. It was a new wall that was specific to their situation right then. And, it was, and, it, and, this, and, and this is what I want you to get this morning. If you don't get anything else, hear this. It has to be a new wall. It has to be a new wall. It will not look exactly like your old wall. The old wall 
fell down over time. It would be useless to try and go back to the old way you did things only for it to eventually fall down again. It has to be a new wall, a new wall specific to your situation in your life right now. Paul said, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. The Christian life is about continually becoming more like Jesus. We have died to our old selves, and we have come alive in Christ. We are not meant to continue in our old way of doing things, but we are a new creation. So you have to start rebuilding new walls in your life against sin. Build new walls against impurity. Build new walls against anger. Build new walls of forgiveness. Build new walls of accountability. And build new walls of love. Nehemiah's wall did not look exactly like his old one because it didn't need to. It needed to suit Israel's new condition then. And I think there might be some people here today who God is telling, hey, it's time to start rebuilding. Or maybe, or, or, you know, maybe you've never had one. Maybe you've never experienced what I'm talking about, and you may need to come and commit your life to the Lord this morning. Um, maybe someone needs to just take a minute and hold up a mirror to themselves and ask, how much do I look like Jesus right now? Don't wait any longer to get this right. Let me tell you, it's never too late to come to Jesus, and it's never the wrong time. Don't wait any longer to start living the abundant life that he has called you into. Oh, oh, would you stand with me as we have our closing song here in just a moment? As we do, I want you to think about David's prayer in Psalm 139 that we started out with. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting.